بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عقبة لمن تقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والصلوات الله والسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته I like this, Ajman. I like it. This is all, just a little bit of pressure, yeah? Well, although I'm going to tell you, bro, still not chicken, still not chicken, bro. Still not chicken, bro. You don't want my chicken, I haven't tasted it to let you know whether I like it or not. By the way, by the way what's happened here? What's going on? Come closer, man. Bring, bring this thing forward, man. My goodness me, gracious, unbelievable. Right. So remind me what happens again. What one's, the, what one's the rubbish one? What, yani what one are we giving to the sisters, basically, is what I'm asking. Which one did I get? Quality streets goes for them, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heroes has got, like, the Cadbury's and stuff in there, isn't it? Okay, who's ready for the catch? Don't do a mega bestie now, yeah? Don't do your own... Bismillah. This is, like, <laughs> worst mistake ever, yeah? Well, she's giving it pure begin. Oh, what a catch. What a catch. MashaAllah. Alright, well done. Okay, Bismillah. By the way, what did we agree? Did we say at the beginning or at the end? Beginning. Beginning. And the end. And the end. <laughs> <laughs> beginning and the end. Shallow then. It's a bit of a party attitude, isn't it? Are we not meant to be studying here or what? Shallow chicken, no problem. So whilst we're all chilling, as you can see, for the. Uh, well, you guys do know yani, how this works, right? Just wait a second. Matlabi ones. You know what? This is a lot better than I thought. You know that little whisper in there? The twisted eggs. Okay, there we go. Alright, now you can pass it around. Leave yourself enough to make sure you do it around at the end as well, yeah? Take it. So, anyway, in honor of the great Irish, through to the World Cup, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to my Welsh Shiani students. We have Rafi'a, we have Rubiru. To be honest, they don't deserve much. Rubiru was one of the LP students. I said to him, so what's your favorite class? He calls me biological progression. <laughs> Can you believe that? Biological progression. People don't fear Allah, that's the problem. People have no... Everything, everything. People take from it what they will. Even I was looking, even like, even I was looking, you see that? That's how you catch it, yeah? you know what I'm saying? Okay. Although I don't know what they thought on camera happened there. But. <laughs> so, uh, even last week's panel, I was reviewing last week's lesson online. We were going into some serious anatomy, man, but unfortunately it was the private parts, so I didn't feel that proud of myself there. There was Venus bleeding from the private parts. Honestly, yeah, like, I. <laughs> There's no need for that, is there? No need for that, is there? Specialist in the private parts, yeah? And what did I do to him? Okay. Oh, mama. Assalam. Oh, yes. Well, this is very good. This is what I'm saying. But you know what? Yeah. It's all good. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I told you guys last week that we're going to stop with the chocolate because it's all about the gains. Is that the right way of saying it? About gains. No, gains is putting on muscle, right? Not losing weight. 
Alright. You didn't realize that everyone online thinks, what kind of a bus is this, by the way? They say the last couple of lessons that we joined for this program that's called LP, all they do is eat so- <laughs> All they do is eat chocolates and sweets. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some good ones here. Don't be looking at what Nazar. Say, mashallah. Don't put Nazar up on me. Don't you dare put Nazar up on me. What are you looking at me like that for? All right. Okay. There you go, Joss. Bismillah. There you go, boss. That's okay. Alright, so today, um, what's happening today? Today's kind of interesting lesson. Which doesn't mean that the rest weren't interesting, but. You know what's interesting? I'll tell you what's interesting. What's interesting is a team that's going to miss Fellaini more than Liverpool are going to miss money. That's interesting. No, 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 yeah. no, no man. 100%. No, no chance. Mane, no, no, no. Mane this season, three goals, I think a couple of assists. Fellaini in less games, four goals, a couple of assists. What are you saying, bro? Huh? Astaghfirullah. <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad because I publicly embarrassed the guy. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I really did my best deal by doing his best deal, and this year has been amazing. I feel like deleting that post so that it's never ever connected to me. But I did put that tree in the in the park and say it's Fellaini. <laughs> and I feel really bad about doing that. Really bad. Anyway, so today's lesson, the Arabic is... Well, uh, yeah. وَلَا تَسِحُّ الصَّلَاةٌ فِي مَقْبَرَةٍ وَحُشٍ وَحَمَّامٍ وَأَعْطَانِ إِبْلٍ وَمَغْصُوبٍ وَأَصْطِحَتِهَا وَتَسِحُّ إِلَيْهَا We'll probably get maybe three of these boys done today. English is that the prayer is invalid, the prayer is not valid in a graveyard, a toilet, a hammam, a camel pen, land which has been usurped, and the roofs of all the above. However, the prayer is valid if prayed towards all of the above. Alright, so it's about location now. Alright, it's about location. So, uh, this is page 237. By the way, last week's questions, like I said, I, I did go back and answer them. And, and weeks before that, so the sisters and, 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 uh, uh, sisters and brothers, whoever is asking questions, um, you will see them answered. So I do go back and answer them. And I answered last week's uh, questions. So, On last week's lesson. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I only answered it an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, page 237 at the top, uh, Sheikh Uthameen is going to take this apart now. The prayer is invalid, invalid in a graveyard, okay, in the maqbara. So, Sheikh Uthameen says that, that if someone says it's not valid, it means it's corrupt, meaning that it's invalid. And... Every prayer, every action, every act of worship is either going to be valid or invalid. So there's, no, there's nothing in between. However, that's not actually quite correct, by the way. Or, or maybe I don't want to say it like that, but I mean the Hanafis themselves in their fiqh, they do have a, a concept, especially in Mu'amalat, 
where and we'll come to that yani obviously in 20 years whatever okay <laughs> that there is a level between an act which is correct and and proper and then that which is corrupt outright and that which is haram and not corrupt and that which is haram but not but uh, uh, and cannot be done however the earnings from it for example are allowed you know these little kind of technical details do do actually become relevant so for example just to give you an application if a person has a haram job in a haram company in a haram work then the job is haram everything is haram money is haram what about if someone is doing a halal job in a haram environment what about someone who's doing a halal job in a halal company that has haram aspect so when you're giving fatawa on, on, on all of these different scenarios you have to take into account the the qaida the the rule or the maxim which is governing things so it's actually possible to have done a haram in a haram occupation that's incorrect and the money itself be used so you know that's where it starts to get very complicated actually and the hanifis are the masters of that anyway complication or the answer that's something you got to think about yeah and what the hanifis are master of yeah okay so um all right so he says salah prayer is invalid in maqbara so Sheikh starts off with saying that this is a general phrase which therefore needs to include every salah every single salah that's yani not just obligatory but the voluntary or the supererogatory as well and he goes that's regardless of whether the prayer is one that has a ruku or sujood and that which doesn't okay because a salah it includes everything uh, and salatul janazah is a very important one that's for dead people we've got to work that out how's that work then Salatul Janazah is a prayer which he said that is not inc- that is included. You can't pray, but Salatul Janazah has no ruku and no sujood. Okay, and not only that, but we have evidence which shows that the prayer Salat is very definitely prayed in the Salatul Janazah in the graveyard. So that creates yani, another uh, interesting point. So that's why Sheikh Uthameen says that there's no doubt by the intention of the author here that the author means every single prayer other than Salatul Janazah. So that's the first learning point. The second point is, how about um, just Sajda? You see, in Fiqh Salah, and actually in recent classes, what classes? What classes? Fitna, yes. Fitna, I've been teaching this point because it becomes relevant in the ayah. Some of the tafsir of this ayah, O Maryam, be devout, bow, uh, 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 make sajda and then bow with those who bow the interesting thing about these various actions is that some of the scholars said that they refer to actions the ruku and the sajda and some of the scholars said that it refers to the prayer pray, pray, pray kind of just yani, repeating the prayer and how is that possible? it's possible as we've shown before to refer to the prayer by referring to its parts so if you refer to one key aspect then it's possible to refer to all of it. So, Arafah is not Hajj. Arafah is one aspect of Hajj. However, the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hajju Arafah, that Hajj actually all is Arafah, to emphasize Arafah. So something can be super, yani, you know, big, super main, super kind of emphasized, and it refer to the whole. If that's the case, then Sajda, what's, it, what's meant by Sajda? So, a sajda to tilawa or sajda to yeah, only. So, the sajda of oh, oh, shukr actually, yeah. So, the sajda of shukr, which you do when uh, the prostration of thankfulness, which is what you do if you receive some good news, okay? 
good news here, of course, means something new. It doesn't mean, you know, because actually all of life is good news. The fact that you're alive on a day is good news, that you're seeing and that you're eating and you're healthy is good news. The sajda shukr is actually legislated not for goodness, because we're all in goodness, al-afiyah, every day, alhamdulillah. We're talking about something that changes. Taghir, yani, that's an important fiqh point, by the way. That is when yani, situations change or something new is introduced into the system. This is what sajda to shukr is done for. So that's, is that salah? And then the sajda of tilawa. You're reciting Quran. Quran, as you know, or as you learn, does not require wudu. However, the majority of the time, you're in wudu. And especially the majority, they want yani, wudu to touch it. So uh, the sajda tilawa, by definition, is most likely going to be following a state of wudu that you're reciting Quran. Does that yani, indicate or help indicate whether it's a prayer or not? So, the Sheikh says, we can therefore uh, give the ruling based upon whether it's permissible to make a sajda of tilawa in the graveyard based upon whether sajda tilawa is prayer or not. So, whenever that, however we answer that, that's the ruling. So, those scholars that said that... Uh, uh, those that said that it is not a prayer, you're allowed to then... Uh, make the sajda of tilawa in the masjid, in, in the maqbara. And those that said it's a prayer, they said that it is um, it is something which is not allowed. And the muhaqqiq says that we're going to learn about that in chapter 4, uh, in uh, volume 4. Volume 4. The volume 1, we were on volume 1 for how many years? 3 years. Is that 3 years? So it works out roughly 3 years per volume. Volume Oh yeah, there are different sizes. Sah, yeah. So, so this one, this is what this is the second year we're on this volume two. This is going to be the third year on this on this volume, right? So, yeah, and that that could be another maybe three four years then three something like before we get onto those yeah, any aspects of the prayer which are beyond the normative prayer. Anyway, so in my opinion, just so that you know, I do not consider the sajda of tilawa to be a prayer or sajda to shukr either although definitely sajda shukr is easier to rule on than the tilawa it's definitely safer to assume that tilawa is like that of the prayer meaning requiring wudu, requiring qibla requiring this, requiring that and that's definitely the safest position and that of the majority I mean we'll come to that in its right time as for the sajda of shukr then that I am very comf- uh, comfortable with the idea that this is neither a prayer, neither requires qibla, neither requires wudu neither requires any, anything else that you would consider that is needed. And actually, if you understand if you understand the concept of the sajda of shukr, then that makes sense as well. It's not meant, it's a spontaneous act. You've got a look on your face, because I know you're remembering Pakistanis yani, when they do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what I said once. So they're all right. They're all right. I, t- I told you guys once, I saw it many years ago. And I said, you can see lots of them kind of... You know, you've got so few of them on the, on, the, on the field when they won something. What was it they won? I don't know, they were doing it all the time anyway. But they did win something. And some of them were trying to quickly look for the direction. And others were just went straight down, mm-hmm. whatever direction. And I said, those boys are the ones who got it right. There were other lot looking around, which was Qibla. <laughs> but yeah, and you lose the moment, Yara. You know what I'm saying? You just won the championship. Oh, right, it was T90, uh, T20 2009 World Cup. Anyway... Um, the next question then is on the next page then. وَهَلْ الْمُرَادُ الْمَقْوَرَ هُنَا مَا أُعِدَّ لِلْقَبَرْ وَإِنْ لَمْ يُدْفَنْ فِيهِ أَحَدْ أَوْ مَا دُفِنَ فِيهِ أَحَدْ بِالْفِعْلِ 
The question that Shaykh Uthameen is asking is that graveyard, is that yani, a phrase that has a reality behind it or is it just a phrase? Because maybe a graveyard has been prepared yani, or land has been yani, booked or bought or purchased for the use of a graveyard but no one has been buried in it yet. So it's almost like pre-preparation time. Yeah? And Shaykh Uthameen correctly says that no, well, graveyard means a place that has got someone buried in it. It doesn't matter that a place has or doesn't have or, or yeah, this definition thing, the, the point for the, uh, the prohibition is that it is actually a place where there are people that have been buried and that is what gives it the ruling of graveyard, which then leads to another question. Is it yani one or is it two or is it three? And he'll come to that in a few pages. Um, and then Sheikh says, let's look at this issue then. Al-Aslu, Al-Sihatu He goes that, the basic principle is that prayer is permissible everywhere, on all land, in all places. So we need a very, very, very clear evidence to go against that. Why? Because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, That the earth was made for me a place, a place of prayer and a method of purification. So it was made yani, pure for me to be purified from, yani, anything that I need to purify myself from whether that's tayammum or whether that's yani, ghusl if needed, yani, via, via the act of tayammum, etc., etc., or for me to pray. That's a very clear evidence. Hadith is narrated by Bukhari Muslim. And he goes, therefore, we must have a very clear evidence that makes it haram. So what is that evidence? The first one is a direct proof, a statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallallahu alayhi sallam, al-maqbara wal-hammam, that the whole world is a masjid, and by masjid here it means a place of uh, sajda, okay? Some scholars actually did interpret this to mean that it is a masjid, meaning the pr- a place where you go to pray like yani formal, like this. Some people did interpret it as that, but inshallah the correct meaning is that it means a place of prayer. إِلَّا الْمَقْبَرَةَ وَالْحَمَّامِ Except for a graveyard and, and the bathroom. I've translated hammam in the text um, as hammam. I just left it as that. But the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm comfortable with the phrase bathroom. Because even when, and I left hammam because I think people now recognize the hammam, whether it's a Arab one, Turkish one, what's the others? Roman? Roman, yeah, Roman one. I think people call it a Roman bathhouse, they'll call it a Turkish hammam, they'll call it a Arab hammam, or, or they'll call it an Arab bathhouse, or Turkish bathhouse, right? Um, and the point is, as, as we're going to see in this, in this text here, there's a hush, okay? And mazbala, for example, and we have hammam, and all of these are focusing uh, on various aspects of what one does in isolation, in nakedness, when either going to the toilet or when washing themselves. And that's where the focus is. Now, the problem with hammam is I don't want to make it as detached as it sounds. Because when you say hammam, it's like almost like, oh, I'm only going to go there, you know, when I'm a tourist in another country or something like that. And that's something which needs to be investigated. Is that really what is intended by that? So we're going to come to that, inshallah, in today's lesson as well. So these are the two things. I want you to know that there are a number of ahadith actually that mention prohibited places okay, of prayer. Most of them are weak. Most of them are weak. Okay? Like the rubbish, the hadith which mentioned the, the rubbish tip and the this and the that and whatever. 
and most of them are weak. This is the most authentic hadith in the chapter, okay? Um, and this hadith, okay, has been on page 242, okay, on page 200, no, no, sorry, not for you, sorry. Um, but it, is, it, it, it says at the bottom, there's a, uh, a reference to it. What does it say? Uh, yeah, on page 141, I beg your pardon. On 141, that's of my copy, it has been narrated. And this hadith, okay, has been differed over. It's narrated by Imam Ahmed. And um, some scholars made it authentic. Ibn Taymiyyah considered this hadith to be authentic, okay? The one that says that all of the world is the place to pray except the graveyard and the hammam. But people like imams of hadith like Imam Tirmidhi and very importantly, Imam Darqutni, and that's a very important name to bring to the party. He said this hadith is mursal. Mursal meaning that therefore it's a statement of a tabi'i, as we mentioned yesterday and last week, and therefore da'if. Okay, therefore it is da'if. Uh, so just I want to just throw that out there. There are some scholars that consider this hadith to be authentic and correct to the Prophet ﷺ. However, there is a scholarly, strong scholarly opinion amongst the muhaddithin that this hadith mursal da'if, yani, that it is actually a weak mursal hadith. Anyway, so this hadith is clearly an exception to the general rule. That's what it's putting out there. So we need to now look at this. Um, is there any other evidences? Yes, there is. And that's why people didn't focus too much on the weakness of this primary hadith because there's so many supplementary points that are going to come to the party. Okay? The, f- the second one is this one. The Qawla Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam That Allah cursed the Jews and the Christians because they took the graves of their prophets as masajid, places of prayer. Okay? And this hadith you all know is Hadith Bukhari and Muslim, one of the most authentic hadiths that we know. And in fact also, not only authentic because of its references, but also because it was narrated very late in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, not too long before he passed away. In fact, he warned against this when he knew that his death was coming close. He wanted to warn especially of what was happening to uh, prophets straight after their death. And, and of course he knew that was gonna, his death was going to have a huge impact upon the Muslims. And so that is what, something that he feared. Okay, And... Um, th- th- this is something which is interesting because, because um, it's here that we realize that masajid here is a very big phrase. Well, masajid huna qatakun a'amu min al-bana. Okay, he said that um, this means yani, more than just a place, more than just an area, yani, proper masajid as well in the areas. Where the people were were, were 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 burying their prophets, because if you go now, and I, we've spoken about this before, especially in Cairo, and you see some of these, yani, uh, I mean, mausoleum would be an understatement, because a mausoleum is like you know just you know building a little kind of you know like a shrine, okay, but they made like proper homes and proper cities, and to be honest, um, uh, you do see a lot of craziness that happens there. And different graves are differed with, obviously. And if you think about this, you step back and you look at the the prohibition. The the if you look at the uh, earlier examples in history, most people have taken just the salihin, the righteous people, and their graves as 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 places of worship. You go into Egypt, you go into Pakistan. Goodness me, you go to Pakistan. That's madness. Anyone been to the Lahore thing in Magic? What's it called? That that what? Data Darbakh. 
And you've been to it? I've been there, by the way. I went inside. I had to have a look. I don't know if that's shirk or not, but I had a look, yani. I was taking that maybe 20 years ago. Okay. What did you do there? Did you run around, yani, looking around? No, I was very young. Very young. What? Does that mean? What do you mean very young? Let's <laughs> <laughs> understand, yani, this ta'alil, yani, of your very youngness. Maybe, not, maybe 25 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which still makes you bad, like, yani, fully, fully, fully accountable for your actions, bro. 25 years ago. Every time I go back, my auntie's on my face. Go for a little tour. Go for a little whirl around, Yeah. It's madness, man. It's madness. It's absolute madness. And it's just a reminder that for those folks that think that this is irrelevant in our time, this idea of worshipping graves, they just need to go back and look at the simple people and they'll see madness upon madness. I was in Cairo in January this year. I released a video of, um, you know, with, uh, with Muhammad Yahya, you know, the film critic for Jimmy Kimmel, right? And uh, um, I went with him, actually, to one of the graves. He was loving it. And I kept slapping him. I said, what the heck are you playing at, bro? He goes, yeah, this is part of our heritage. Just that slap. He goes, no, no, yeah, it's okay, slap. He goes, Sheikh Walid was with me as well, Basiuni. He would slap him once, and I'd slap him on the side. It was pure craziness. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's more than just the Ibad. It's a massive tourism thing as well. A lot of people go there. But anyway, um, yeah. So the third point, and this is what's, what's important, is to, uh, uh, apart from the evidences which seem very clear to talk about the graveyard, what, what about, Yani, from an illa point of view? What if we're able to understand the illa? What is the actual reason of prohibition? What do you think? What's your, uh, what's your Yani, suggestions why a graveyard would be prohibited? Shirk. shirk. You mean to stop shirk or because shirk happens? What if I say I don't want to, I'm not going to go and pray shirk, I'm not going to do shirk? I know exactly what's going on. Why am I going to do shirk? Huh? So, okay, so leading others to thinking about it and just the, uh, authenticating the action. Okay, all right. Any other opinions? The interesting thing is, is that the majority did not make this the illa. The majority, they said, uh, and, and, and that's the correct opinion. A sheikh says that the correct illa is to stop uh, we want to not indicate that it's something which is possible to worship around graves and not just that but also we don't want to resemble those people who pray in graves as well it's not just necessarily yani, it's not just about i got to look at myself and think are people copying me or not because I have a beard or I have a hijab and I look religious it's also about having some izzah and understanding about where people should be seen and not be seen as well and it's not altogether obvious. There's an absolute classic narration, one of my favorite narrations that I've ever read. Okay? It's the narration of Anas, and it's been narrated by Bukhari, but it's narrated ta'liqan. Remember in Bukhari, Sahil Bukhari, when he narrates hadith, he doesn't just narrate hadith, he sometimes narrates other statements, usually in the titles or in the blurb, after the title, before he starts quoting hadith. And he will often quote someone, or he'll even quote the Prophet or he'll quote a companion. And when he does that, these are all what we call mu'allaq, or he narrates it ta'aliqan, meaning that he doesn't mention any chain. Bukhari, of course, mentions full chain. His teachers, da 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 all the way, and specifying exactly how they heard from each one, da 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 all the way. That's why it's the greatest book of hadith ever. However, sometimes he'll just bam, just quote yani, a companion or someone. And that's a big, this is called the mu'allaqat of, of Bukhari, and it's studied in itself. Ibn Hajar, one of his services that he did in Fath al-Bari is that he gave the isnad for every single 
ta'aliq of Bukhari. Every mu'allaq of, of Bukhari that he quoted, he gave the sanad for. And they're all authentic. Pretty much all of them are authentic. Okay? One of the reasons why there's so much controversy, for example, over the concept of music, okay, is because one of the main hadith that prohibits music is ta'aliq yani, of Bukhari as opposed to full sanad. Just to give you some kind of idea. Okay? But hadith is authentic. Anyway, this one also narrated by in the Musannaf of uh, Abdul Razak al-San'ani. So it is sahih. Anas ibn Malik narrates it. He goes, I was in the graveyard and I was praying. Okay? And uh, obviously he was of the opinion that it's permissible to pray. And he's praying. And I, I want you to understand what that means. It means that uh, either... He's in the graveyard and he's praying, and it doesn't matter what's going on about the graves and the places and where he's praying, or that he's praying towards the qibla, but there's a grave in between. Okay, so that's what he's doing. Anyway, he goes, I was in sajda, and I heard Umar, his voice, and he's shouting, coming close to me, Al-Qabar, Al-Qabar, Al-Qabar. And he goes, I was in my sajda, and I, I, he goes, I couldn't work out what you're saying. He goes, so I was listening carefully in my sajda, and I thought, he said, Al-Qabar, Al-Qamar, Al-Qamar. So he goes, so, I go, okay, then, so I lift up my head, and I start looking at the sky. Just <laughs> 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 looking at the sky, what am I looking at? What's the moon done? Yani? Al-Qamar meaning moon, and Qabar obviously grave. So he's looking at the Qamar, yani. what's happened here? And Omar comes up to me, and he said, I said, Qabar, I said, Qabar. <laughs> he goes, Al-Qabar, no prayer towards the Qabar. So you guys, I stopped praying immediately. I stopped praying. I stopped praying immediately. So, I mean, even, even there are some companions uh, uh, there that had this idea, and it was a khilaf amongst them. And I do want you to know that there is a big difference of opinion on this issue. Because the, and, and you should know that these are one of the areas that the Hanbalis are not, I don't want to say on their own, but they are very strict on this issue, meaning that they said that the prayer is not even valid. Forget about haram. Because we said before, there's one thing when the act is haram, another thing when it's invalid. Because then it needs to be repeated. If a person does something which is haram, then he gets a sin, but the prayer is valid. He doesn't need to repeat the prayer. But if something is la tasih, batil, and haram, then it's all game over. You've got to then, you know, you've sinned, and you've got to do the thing again. All right? So, um, and uh, we'll come to that. Anyway, so, Sheikh says... Um, that the number of, a number of them, and to be honest, he's referring to the majority, okay? Because the majority of the scholars, they said, Ash-Shafi'i, Malik, Abu Hanifa, Al-Hassan al-Basri, I think Abu Huraira, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they were of the opinion that it is permissible to pray in a graveyard, but it is makruh, it means something it is hated. And they said that their illa for not praying or not being allowed to pray in a graveyard, is najasa, is filthiness. And they said that if filth is present, then it is not allowed to pray at all. So actually all of the scholars, the madhahib and everyone, they agree that if there is filth present, it is not allowed to pray at all. All right? And whereas if filth is not present, then the majority say it's allowed to pray. There's also even a narration from Imam Ahmed who also said the same. And a narration, a riwayah Ahmed. But the position of Imam Ahmed his famous position, Al-Mashhur min Ahmed, and also the madhab, is that it is not allowed to pray in the graveyard. Why? Because they reject this ta'aleel completely. They reject this ta'aleel. And it's very interesting, actually, if you look, when I say ta'aleel, this reason. Okay? What did they say? They said that, if you look at this idea, well, first of all, what did the people who said it's allowed to pray, يعني, or not allowed to, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, what They said, what, what does it mean when a person is not allowed to pray? Why? 
would be that. I said because of what happens from the grave being exhumed and from the ashes and from al-sadid min al-amwat. Al-sadid meaning wound and matter and pus and so on and so forth seeping out. They made a pretty grim kind of description of the graveyard to be honest. And very kind of messed up and so on. So, uh, so that's their argument, basically. Um, there's, some, there's some responses to that. First of all, <coughs> the, as Sheikh Uthameen says, الأولاً, that the nabish of the maqbara, that the basic rule in a grave, is that it is pure. It doesn't have exhumed parts, and it doesn't have pus, and whatever. You've got to prove that. So the basic ruling, and that's what, when, whatever you apply to a place is always the basic yani, asal, the status quo. The status quo is that a graveyard is not filthy. The status quo of a toilet is that it is filthy. And you've got to prove its cleanliness. Yes? The status quo of a graveyard is that it's pure, and you've got to prove its dirtiness. Does that make sense? So whenever you go into a graveyard, you don't go in with the mentality, this is all impure. So that's the first thing. He goes... Um, secondly, he goes, who said that you're going to pray in an exact place where the earth itself is full of pus and, and whatever. How do you know that, that that's exactly where you're standing? What area? And how deep? And how, 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 how seriously are you going to go? Third, interesting yani, point, he says, he goes, who even said that the pus of a human being is impure anyway? Okay, I don't want yani, to look at that part any further, yani, but he's asking the question. Okay, he goes, who even said that anyway? And he goes, um, and anyway, he goes, there's a big difference between Graveyards of back in the day and the graveyards of today. Today, there's no dirt like that. There's no exhumed bodies like that. It's all done in a very you know proper way. Bodies are brought in very clean. The job is all very clean, and that's true. All of our graveyards today, they're very very clean. I'll add a fifth. Okay, not mine, not from not from myself, but some from uh, somewhere I read that. Um, and it's, it's ironic because Sheikh Uthameen is trying to make out that okay, if this is a problem, then it's the old graveyards that have the problem, not the new ones. That's his point. Yeah, the new ones are all clean. I will add number five, actually the old ones will be better according to fiqh because if there is any kind of najasa then istihala will have occurred and istihala is a concept that all the madahib agree on that the sun itself dries off yani dirt and that over time the earth yani changes things so any najas would have changed into salt, earth, x, y, z, whatever it is but it's now no longer najas feces yani same thing happens to that everything yani changes um, another evidence that I also found interesting um, in Bukhari and Muslim, we know that the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, this is a hadith which is not very well known, but the Prophet ﷺ, when he came to Medina, and you know that it was all about choosing the location, about where to build Masjid al-Nabawi, and it was going to be where the camel stopped. Yes, he gave that decision because it was too much of a fitna for him to choose all the people wanting him to stay with them. And the idea was whether he was to stop and stay was also going to be the area that's going to be closest to where he's going to build the mosque. And so that's why you know that the camel is stopped at the house of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, then he went off again, then he came back again and stopped. And so that's why the Prophet ﷺ came up, got off and he said, this is where I'm going to stay. Abu Ayyub is very happy. He lives there for six months and directly outside the front door is where the Masjid Nabawi has been built. As you all know, when you, see, when you go to Medina, you'll see it right in front of his house. Is there. The house is no longer there, but there's a little plaque which indicates it's only a few meters away. So that's where it was built. And that was actually a maqbara of the Mushrikeen. It was actually a graveyard for the Mushrikeen and the Prophet ﷺ, he just said, build on top, yani the, make it build uh, an old graveyard. And he just said, carry on building on it. He didn't, yani, there's not a single narration or proof that he said, let's get rid of the earth because it's full of sadid and full of pus and full of 
you know, blah de blah and all the rest of it. So we don't have any evidence to show that yani, you have to get rid of anything. Okay, so that's another point. He goes, what about if a person says about one grave? Does one grave yani, take the ruling? Or is it a graveyard? Does it have to be lots of graves? So can we pray, for example, you know, um, the gra- uh, uh, I mean, this sounds a bit crazy, but uh, you know, so, I mean, I certainly give this advice uh, as well. You know, a lot of sisters having miscarriages, a lot of sisters having miscarriages which are very early. And there's a big discussion, of course, yani, under, under the chapter of the fiqh of death, when does life actually start? Okay? Does life start at conception, which is a very extreme and very rare view according to the Muslims, or the one which I'm starting to become more sympathetic to? And uh, I'm never very comfortable with the position that I've held. Or does life start where human signs start, which could be anything? from 40 days plus to 100 days or whatever. You know, law is always talking about 16 weeks, 17 weeks. What's the current law at the moment? 21, yeah? Should that 21 weeks? 21 weeks? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this weeks thing is, uh, is going up and down, but it's based upon what they consider to be an actual sign of life, whatever. Is it 41 days, which, is, which was my original opinion? Okay, 41 days, 40 days, 41 days, which has been mentioned in hadith, hadith Sahih Muslim, and, and so on. Is it what the majority of the scholars say, which is 120 days? I think we've spoken about this, right? Which chapter we spoke? Menstruation. Huh? Are you sure? In menstruation, we didn't go through this? In Nifas? Yeah, in the Kitab of Nifas. Sah? Yeah, in the Kitab of Nifas, we went through all the details to what? Yeah, no, no, I mean, part of LP. Yeah. Maybe now I'm doubting now. If the one who just edited the end said no, yeah, then you know that we don't do our best, you know. Is it? Oh, okay. About some issues with it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, I can't remember whether we discussed it or not. But go back and have a look or do a search or whatever. I'm sure you'll find it. But the point is, is that because there's a big difference on when life starts, and then on top of that difference on when life starts or not, what is the ruling that one does to life which starts or doesn't start? Both actually have a separate reality, which has been miscarried. So it comes out, okay? Um, and when it comes out, what does one do? One just dispose of it completely? Or does one then actually fo- follow through and they do the full? And there's, there again, differences amongst the scholars. Hugely complicated and difficult area. Yani. Billah, you know, trust me, it's really complicated. So do we give it a kafan? Do we give it a name? Aqiqa is given on behalf of it, prayer and so on. And it's obviously the safest position to do that, okay? But not many scholars are obligating that thing. Not many. Enough are to make you worried, okay? But the idea is that if it's got some kind of real life, then it should be given that kind of reality. Now, if that's the case, I'm just putting that out there for your discussion. And it's happening to women regularly, okay? First time, twice, three times. And this is something which is, you know, studied at the moment. You know, why recurrent miscarriages to go and bury someone in a graveyard is not cheap it's not cheap a lot of money so we do recommend yani, people to go and bury in gardens in, yani, in, the, in the mud part go down deep and of course yani, in fiqh of death we are saying that people need to look into the new eco-funeral kind of idea as well which also helps eco-funerals are ideas that the government is pushing because 
it, it also recognizes space is running out. It also wants to encourage the fact that everything breaks down. And we are naturally in favor of that because we don't allow a coffin. We don't allow metals to be buried with the, with the body. We're quite happy for something to disintegrate away. There's no requirement to preserve a body. Our attempt at the beginning is to preserve. But we know that even if you make coffin not in three cloths or five, it's going to break down. Yeah, I mean, whatever happens. So we have no problem with that. So um, uh, now that has a ruling. If there's quite something like a life form and it's buried in your garden, does that, is that considered to be a graveyard or grave? You get what I'm trying to say? All right. So Sheikh says, Al-Jawab there is a difference of opinion on this matter. He says, look at Al-Insaf and Al-Ikhtiarat, page 44. Um, there are some scholars that said that a single grave or two graves does not, does not invalidate the prayer there. And there are others that said no. They said no. It absolutely invalidates the prayer. And Sheikh Uthameen says that the correct position is that it is invalidated, even if it's only one grave. The prayer is invalidated even if there is one grave. He says that as long as one grave is there, it is a graveyard. But it's very clear that Sheikh Uthameen is talking about a graveyard. He is basically saying, if it's a graveyard which is empty, but just only one grave is there, then it's impermissible to pray there. I'm more than happy to follow that. I'm not happy for the evidence to suggest that if you were to bury someone in your garden, okay? God, that sounds rough, doesn't it? <laughs> Imagine someone just logs on right now, if you were to bury someone in your garden. Anyway, whoever just heard that, please go back here in five minutes and listen to everything I just said. <laughs> so... I don't think that's a graveyard. No one considers to be a graveyard. Considers people have just yeah, buried someone there. And I think you can pray in the rest of the garden. Because I, I certainly pray in my garden. We certainly use our garden. One and two. Yeah. might be jumping ahead, but churches generally have a lot of people buried there. Uh-huh. You mean in the surroundings or inside? Both. Right. Um, oh, you mean like inside as part of like a shrine? Old churches will have them inside, but newer churches will generally have them outside. Yeah. East. Right. To pray there, ahsent, ahsent. And we're going to come to this and make sure you remind me in case we don't finish off with that point. That it's not just about graveyards, but about places that have graves as well. Yeah. Yes, but those allocated areas are known as graveyards because I have the same. When I was just there now and I was involved in, you know, uh, all the whole kind of dividing of land stuff, whatever. We were actually debating specific yani, rights of us donating land to be the, the road and the whatever. And it's only like three or four graves there. And it's absolutely seen as a graveyard. So those are actually mini graveyards. Yeah, that's a bit different. Yeah, they wall it off, segment it, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then Sheikh says, what about if someone says that is the, is the ruling that you're talking about based upon the name? Uh, yeah, is it just a name thing? Is it naming convention or is it because of actually what happens there? Okay. Uh, he goes, فالجواب, uh, He goes that it doesn't matter about يعني, whether 
you know, uh, uh, a land is meant to be called a graveyard or theoretically meant to be a graveyard or is bought or is something else. That's not about the issue. It's about people being buried there. When people are buried there, that becomes a problem. And once it becomes enclosed and separated, then it becomes a problem. Why am I going to say it's a problem praying in the masjid with a grave? And I want to say to you that this is a detailed matter, okay? And it is actually very relevant because you might think, Yanni, you know, it's not. But in this country, do we have it? Oh, is that Gamkol uh, Sharif got a grave? Shut up. It's in the car park or something like that. In the car park? Sugar, I've prayed in there. So there are many mosques around the world. Oh, well, around the world we know. And that's why it's important. Azhar, if you ever go, many tourists go there. Number of graves. Turkey, Turkey all over the place. Pakistan, maybe? Yeah, I think they do, yeah. Few. Lots in Bangladesh? Lots. Yeah, there's quite, yeah. Pak's not made. It's not a big thing in Pak. Uh, in Bangladesh, there's a... Uh, Mosque inside. I mean, on the side of a mosque is graveyard. On the side outside or on the side inside? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I mean, we are going to have a proper session on that. Okay, I don't want to kind of you know jump straight ahead, but people need to know that that this is super relevant. That there are places that you would go to that you would pray, especially if you were to go yeah, on tourist reasons. So, but Egypt is right up there, and Turkey, where they have graves in the mosque. And the ruling is going to differ when the grave is in the direction of the Qibla, which very, very, most of them are not. Okay? And some of them there are. Has, 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 has one at the front? Azhar, I think, is at the side. I don't think it's at the front. Masjid Nabwi is the biggest one. Behave yourself. <laughs> Unbelievable. Masjid Nabwi, let me just say before she's messing around, okay? That's not a grave inside the masjid, okay? That's a house inside the masjid which has been collected. And something which yani, is not yani, part of the masjid either. It is a addition. And it is not praying towards there either. Unbelievable. Don't give me a heart attack. No, it's for the people. Yeah, take it. That's right. Yeah. Huh? Shut up. Yeah. Where? Uh, yeah? Up in Akash and Kari? Yeah. Behind it, you know, on the church. The bottom church. They've got the masjid there. And the, all the graves, Christian graves, still with the... It's converted church. It's a converted church in Longside, behind Apnakash and Kari, and the graves are inside. No, uh, around. So just on that point, it's a very great uh, uh, old church. There might be graves inside. It is permissible to build a church, as we've seen with Masjid Nabawi and surrounding areas, in an area that has become so old that the graves are basically, you know, gone. There's no sign of it. It's not visited. It's not seen. But newly putting shrines inside, that would be a major problem. And then praying outside when there's graves, that's a disaster as well. Your point is that the masjid itself, inside might be okay, but outside the graves are still there when you walk past them. Yeah, there's probably stones. Tombstones as we walk in. Flip in, Can we just define the actual boundaries of a graveyard? And then you go to the graveyard here, you're parked in the car park and you walk to the graveyard. Yeah. So there's a car park to constitute part of the graveyard. Allahu yeah. <laughs> 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 Alam, the specifics of, of things like that. Um, Sheikh Uthameen will go later on to say that anything that can be enclosed gives the, gets the ruling of that place. Meaning if something is... is like the idea is, is that if you are going to wall something off, then you are, you are identifying that place as such. 
And if the car park itself is not separated by its own kind of wall, then you have to assume that the car park is part of the graveyard. Yeah, so what's the difference between a garden? A garden is very open. A garden is seen as a garden. It's not seen as a graveyard. As a graveyard. Do you agree with Sheikh Tamim that if there's one grave there, then that's a graveyard? Yeah, but where? In a graveyard. In a graveyard. Sheikh Tamim is talking about, what if we have a graveyard which is brand new, or maybe no one's ever going to bury someone in there, but someone buries someone in there, and it's called a graveyard. Well, the ruling is a graveyard. And that's, that, that's where the problem starts. Yeah. Not just him, all of us, yani, every single alim of any yani, basic soul to yani, wants something happened there. Yeah, so but it's just not possible. So if it was separate, then they wouldn't raise that. No, there's obviously it's a concern. Why would, why would you bring doubt into the issue? Of course, yani, it's doubtful. There's no doubt about it. No, you said before, like, you know, just to make it clear, like, it's separate. It's not separate. It is separate. Sheikh Al-Albani prayed many times. If that makes you feel better. It is separate. One's belief is different from one's concern. Yeah. Just going back on the point about the separation of spaces. Say, theoretically, if the garden space to the side bit. Outside, the, outside the main wall of the masjid. Wall, yeah. Where, where we have the seating at. Yeah. If that was had graves. Yeah. Then would this entire fenced area be Yeah. The Meaning like the full area itself. Yeah, this is, this is what causes the problem. I mean, in my, in my opinion, it's about how that area is understood. Is it understood that graves have been placed in the boundaries of the masjid grounds? Because um, the way that you come to this solution is working backwards. I've said that a number of times before, you work backwards. So what you do is that you put another situation in, throw it in, and then work out. Would itikaf be accepted if you were outside? No. Would you standing by yourself outside be considered part of the line? No. Would you be outside if you're a continuous line and there's no masjid, no space in the masjid? Yes. So you see that it takes the ruling of a masjid when it needs to, but in its status quo, basic, and its time, it doesn't take the ruling of the masjid. So the answer would be that it would be permissible for us to pray in here, but makruh for us to be having the masjid in an area where there are graves. That is how you would come to that yani, scenario. Because there's no way that we could say that this masjid becomes a graveyard or, or that we took this masjid as a graveyard, especially when there's a small group of graves that are in that direction and we're all praying in this way, not even a graves in between, etc., etc. Regardless of the fact that we've created a doubtful scenario and it shouldn't be like that and they should definitely be exhumed and pushed away. Okay, then let's take that church example. Yeah. The yeah, oh, that's a disaster. That's a disaster. I'm glad you guys told me that one. Every direction, clearly a graveyard, dominated by it to be a graveyard, and built Yanni. I understood it was the majority of the land is graves. Right. Is the masjid, is the, is the church itself? Right. The churches are literally by the edges of the boundary. What if we find out, like what uh, Mormon said, that actually there's graves inside as well? But that changes this. That doesn't make yeah. As it is now, the building is the majority of the land. Mm. Or take, for example, even uh, some cemetery, the central building, which is spatially 
it's separated off from the grass area to known as a grave. Yeah. And you have the tarmac on the side yeah. of the central building. Yeah. What about somebody who works there? Correct, correct. And I agree with that. I think that's very I think that is a very contentious issue. If a person was in the admin building at the, at the I, you're absolutely right. I, I went and visited this one here, Mill Lane Cemetery, and they had obviously a center there. You go in and ask questions, whatever. You don't feel like you're in the graveyard. It's at the front of the graveyard. It starts before, what if for, what if for admin reasons, it was right in the middle, and so on and so forth. And this would come down to fatwa and ishtihad. It would come down to fatwa and ishtihad. Also, here's the thing, right? Here's the, here's the issue about of the illa, of knowing the illa is so important to understand what is the actual reason for prohibition. So, for example, would we give a ruling upon a person that the area was absolutely pure and clean because it was an admin building built in a graveyard, which itself is like you know completely clean and no sign of anything, just purely an administrative office. And the person was super aware, and other people are not seeing him pray in there in his own office as, the, as so on. I myself would have no problem myself allowing that person to pray. But it's got there via this and that and this and that, whatever. So the general ruling would still remain. Fadlan and the fact that the majority of the scholars were allowing to pray there anyway. Only the Hanabila are, are the ones that are super strict on this. Super strict. Emotionally, when you look at the issue, Emotionally, they have all the evidence. His history, they have all the evidence. Yani mankind has forever and a day always been worshipping the people they love, and then they've been actually showing that in various ways. And the hadith of Ibn Abbas, when he's, you know, the history of shirk, that's exactly what did happen. And so you got, you got people that are going to graves and still doing crazy stuff there, isn't it? Is there, is there a reason why the hadith of the, uh, the Sahabi used to clean the masjid? Yeah. Yeah. That, that just seems to be completely ignored. Not ignored. No, no, not, not ignored at all. No, no, oh. it's coming. Oh. Yeah, not ignored at all. Yeah. Sheikh, um, in Hebron, they had this masjid. Where in where, where? Hebron. Hebron. Yeah. Uh, where they said that obviously some of the prophets were buried there. So yeah. They had like massive tombs and whatever, but it's all walled off and everything. And Outside the actual. Inside the actual masjid. So they had one. Not masjid Qibli, though. You're talking about just the, the various. Masajid in the Aqsa complex, right? No, no, this is in Hebron. Oh, sorry, Hebron. Okay, yeah. So they had like one tree grave here, then they had another one here, then they had another one outside. But in between, they had the sunny areas. Yeah. In terms of permissibility, like, the thing is, though, some of them said that it might be, might not be the graves of the prophets and whatnot, so. No, I think it was actually clearly said that that was just symbolic. And if there is any graves, it would be down yeah, below. Yeah. But, mm. they, but in the middle of the hall, they have strangers. Yeah, I mean, this, this, you're right. Ultimately, this is the problem. Yeah, and even if people say that these, there aren't really graves here, these are stones which are symbolic, which, which it, we don't need them to tell us. We know for a fact that no one knows about any location of any grave or any... Yani, anything to do with the prophets that's an absolute fact other than the prophets of Allah it's the only one that we know for certain so all these ideas that there's a grave here grave there whatever it doesn't matter about the fact that they're not there the indication is that they are there that it's a grave and we should avoid those areas I think that the prayer inside a place that doesn't actually have a grave there in in an enclosed area I think is permissible but you are absolutely in an area of ishtihad and doubt and just bid'ah really okay in terms of of that kind of uh, uh, idea. So let's just finish off the text, then we can take out, then we can take some questions. So the Sheikh says, 
So we have an issue. Yustathna min dhalika salatul janazah. So there is clearly an exception for the prayer of the janazah. So, فَإِنْ كَانَتْ الصَّلَاةِ عَلَى الْقَبْرِ فَلَا شَكَّ فِي إِسْتِثْنَائِهَا It is very clear that there is an exception for praying over a grave. Over a grave. And this is because it has been established that the Prophet ﷺ, um, when he noticed that the lady who used to clean the masjid was missing, he hadn't seen her, the Abyssinian woman who used to clean the masjid, he asked about her and they said that she passed away. And that she passed away in the night time. And the Prophet ﷺ, why did you not even tell me about that? They said, Ya Rasulullah, we did not want to disturb you in the night time because you, know, you were asleep. Okay? And so then he said, Dulluni ala qabriha, so show me where her grave is. They took her to the grave. And so, as narrated in Bukhari, he stood over her and he prayed the janazah prayer for her. There's also the hadith narrated in the Sahih of Ibn uh, Bukhari, in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, where the Prophet prayed over a grave as well for a janazah that he, Ibn Abbas, went walked past the grave of a woman who had passed and he asked about this lady and he prayed because people had not prayed the janazah. So two clear evidences from the Prophet ﷺ that he has prayed in a graveyard and prayed over a grave. Graveyard and grave. Also, it is authentically confirmed as narrated in the Musannaf of Abdul Razak al-San'ani that Abu Hurairah prayed Salatul Janazah for Aisha, for Umm Salama, anhuma. I can't remember who else. And Abdullah ibn Umar was in the Jama'ah as well. You're talking the kings of knowledge. The absolute kings of knowledge. And that was prayed in Baqiyah. Salah was in Baqiyah. Okay? Yet, the Janazah prayer has been prayed a couple of times in a masjid, but it's not the Sunnah. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prayed Salatul Janazah upon um, Sahal ibn Bayda, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sahal ibn Bayda, yani one of the lesser known companions, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prayed Janazah over him in the masjid. But the majority of the time, the Janazah is prayed outside, either in an external area to maximize Yani people, or as has been narrated, in the masjid itself. And so therefore, therefore, um, in the, in the huh? Yeah, in the masjid we have not more than once, but minimal, minimal times in the masjid, majority outside, out, uh, majority other times. And those other times outside are of different magnitude. So for example, open area, graveyard that has fully inhabited, grave which is inhabited, but the majority of the time, a grave which is uninhabited, open ground. Okay? So sometimes yani, the grave has been dug, but the, be- the person has not been buried because they keep them in front of them. Okay? So that's what Sheikh Uthameen is asked. He goes, what if a person says that the dead is brought in front of them in the graveyard, but before they are actually buried, what's the ruling then? So therefore, um, he then said that it doesn't matter whatever we say or don't say and however we understand salah or not salah, whether janazah is a prayer or not a prayer. By the way, I just want you to know that salatul janazah, I, 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 I think it's a very strong argument that it's not a prayer. Okay? 
very strong argument that's not a prayer. That's certainly the Hanafi indication. The Hanafis are more along the line that this is a dua, okay, as opposed to an actual technical prayer. And I have a lot of sympathy with that. I think it solves a number of other issues that come later. Okay, but anyway, it's, it's, it's academic. The point is, is that whatever, whether it's a dua or salah, it doesn't matter. The Prophet Sallallahu has prayed it. And so it doesn't matter whether the, the body is buried or not. The Prophet Sallallahu has prayed in a place where the body was buried. So why will there be a problem praying in a place where the body is not buried? Of course, it's okay to pray in there. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the end of that. I was looking at, I'm looking at the time. I was going to do the toilet. Should we do the toilet or what? Just the... Uh... There's no evidence to specify what the graveyard is and the boundaries. Would you not take it back to the people? That's what I'm saying. Yani, exactly that. That in the absence of absolute yani, you know, definitions, right? It's, sorry, it's not an absence of definitions. It's us playing around. The, 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 the word is maqbara. It's very clear. The hadith says maqbara. Now it's up to us to define what maqbara is and to look what evidence suggests yani, what is a maqbara or not. It's very difficult. You can't avoid the discussion that if you're talking about a scenario where you have, you know, an administrative building or a car park. Imagine a person stuck, yani, in the, the graveyard and the Salatul Asr is, Maghrib is about to kick in. Are we going to allow, th- that's a real, that's not black, that's a real scenario. Are we going to allow this person to pray in the graveyard, which itself is, I'm talking about, I'm looking at it like this. If this is a, like you know, there's a multi-car park, yani, it's deep, deep underneath I'm feeling more comfortable with that than I am yani, with a place that's just part and parcel of you know, the area. Or if it's separated or not. I'm comfortable with the idea of being in an admin building. You know, you're going into the, the, to the office and talking about you know, the paperwork and the stuff and the prayer starts. So, you know, in general, you don't want to be found anywhere near there. Okay? We want to be sending out. Don't, let them, don't, let, don't be fooled by the majority. The majority of scholars have said that the prayer is valid. But they said it is makruh. They don't want you to be praying there. They want you to avoid it. And so that's what we need to be trying to do. At the same time, we don't want to try and make this an irreligious place. We have salaf that used to recite Quran there. Dua at the qabr is highly recommended. And visiting the qabr is highly recommended. And the janazah has been established by the Prophet So we don't also want to make it into some kind of, you know, we don't want to make it like a toilet. You know what I'm saying? Like a toilet which is, very clearly prohibited from various things. Yes, Nasser and then Abdul Nasser. It seems to me that the whole issue, like for example with the bathroom, it's all about this is a threshold. Like at what point do you cross yeah. into yeah. the place? Yeah. And That's always gonna be a matter of ishtihad, as you're gonna see in the toilet. Yeah. So like for example some people would use like land material or walling like a common one. But as like as in Spain they literally wall just right around in a wider collection area. The graves. Yes, yeah, so like we do in our villages. Yeah. So we have a, a we we have our house. Behind our house is a graveyard. Five six graves. That's everywhere is like that. Yeah, like I said, it will entirely come down to how you understand what boundaries are. There's not a problem here with the definition or the evidences. The problem is being made by us. Because back then there was no administrative offices, there were no car parks, there were no nothing. It was just allowing people to go into an area that was understood that this is the maqbara. 
it wouldn't matter if there was a couple of fence panels missing or a couple of bricks missing it would be understood this is the maqbara and now when we've kind of mixed the yani, urban areas with you know there's some parking we've created a masla in our own kind of things and I, what I want to say is that if a scholar is going to say it's haram to pray in the car park it will always be his own opinion that can be challenged that's the best that we can take out of this every fatwa in this matter because it will always be a matter of ijtihad because you can always argue always argue but no that's where the graveyard this is uh, technically no one considers the, the the parking of the graveyard so then someone, someone's going to turn around and say okay then there's a car park over there if I park my car over there did it, does it, does it, did, would I say I parked in the graveyard and you would say no if I park in this park, car park in the graveyard through the main entrance even though it's offensive stuff would it be said by everyone who comes there, I parked in the graveyard? Everyone would say yes. So you're never going to win this. You're always going to be able to argue, argue, argue. So it comes down to much which they had, yes. So, so all this would be based on things which are apparent and which is known. Right? Yes. So for example, That's why uh, Shazad said, yeah. Urf. Urf, which is apparent and which is known from Arafah, which is known, the people know it, people understand it, there's no doubts about it. Yeah, so maybe we discuss later on, but what about the unknown? For example, in any country, for Yep. No, no problem at all. Any area, you never go into an area thinking it's a graveyard. Never. Never ever. Yani the, the, the asal of all land is that it's land. If it's found out to be later graveyard, then obviously you have a heart attack, but that's something else. <laughs> yeah. Just say, for example, there's no car park, and you're just in the heart of the graveyard area, and summertime's almost ending. Would you say it's better to pray in the car or actually pray outside the car and, you know, maybe somewhere? No, 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 I would not say pray in the car. If I was in that scenario like you just said, that I've got literally not a single second left, I have to make my prayer now, I don't even have time to get outside, and I had to be forced to make the prayer, I'd pray absolutely next to the car, in the car park, not in the car. Yeah. Yani, um, at best, at best, according to one position, the humbly position, my prayer is invalid. According to the vast majority of scholars, my prayer in any part of that graveyard is actually valid. Why would I, in the spa- in the, with the knowledge of knowing that the majority allow this, even though my opinion is that it's not allowed, would then go and take out a pillar of the prayer, which is to sit, to, which is to stand? You never would. Uh, so, is there no wudu' for janazah prayer? Well, this is the point. If the janazah prayer is not a janazah prayer. It's not a prayer, but a du'a, then theoretically you don't need wudu. But like I said, we're not covering that yet. That's a complicated issue. Can a woman pray the funeral prayer in a graveyard if she missed the prayer in a masjid after a day of burial? If yes, where should she pray facing the qibla and other graves? So, um, I mean, this is yani, asking lots of questions in one. First of all, the issue of women entering the graveyard. Secondly, yani, can she pray by herself? Thirdly, and so on and so forth. And, you know, there is a prayer... Uh, that is prayed um, when a person has not had a burial prayer, but it is not sunnah for people to be praying yani, uh, janazah prayers by themselves. The action of the Prophet ﷺ is not legislating that everyone just prays their own janazah prayer, but as an exception, as a general rule, one doesn't do that, but as an exception, it is permissible. And normally the scholars kind of said that that's if the person was very special or that's if the person... Or, or if the person came a very, very long way and they had a really, really good reason to miss it. So I'm not going to recommend this action. However, I want to say that it is permissible for women to visit the graveyards, in my opinion, as long as they are not people who visit it regularly all the time. 
And people women are in control of their emotions and they don't cause a scene over there because of them being upset. And number three or whatever it is, uh, if you were to pray, then you have to face towards Qibla and you try to avoid getting the qibla, the, the grave in between uh, between you and the, the, the Qibla. And if you couldn't avoid that, then it is permissible to pray standing the Salatul Janazah with the grave in between you if you are unable to face the Qibla in any other way. Okay? And there are churches in which the walkways are graves. How is it a walkway then? I don't get it. Yeah, so that's a bit different. I have no problem with that because that's like a city center orphan. But I'm saying that he's saying a walkway in a graveyard. But is it a walkway or is it a grave? It's just covered in a Yeah, but, my, 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 but you see, my point is, my point is, is that if there's a grave underneath and you have cemented over it to make a walkway, I don't care, it's not a grave anymore. I'm, I don't care about what it is. Oh, sugar, it's like divided off. I stay, I'm a practicing Muslim, I stay away from town. <laughs> except, except when the next sale is on, then I'll go down. <laughs> <laughs> Next sale, everyone goes out of town. Yeah. I don't go, customer, I don't. Unless I need to do my Primark shopping, because I'm sure Primark, obviously, Shaz doesn't even know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you where it is, Shaz, though, I can. Yeah. And, uh, and next sale. So I think the point is if you're, if you're walking around the street, yeah, there's often graves there, and you might see this marking, especially if you're like New York, like mm. an old city, they're everywhere. Like, so uh, mm. it's a bit of a silly question. Interesting. You can just avoid it. Yeah? Yeah, you would just try to avoid it, uh, Rehan. Allah knows best. And it has names on it, yeah? Rehan is saying there are names. No, no, listen, Fatima, don't yeah, quote me. I'm just saying there's a discussion there. We'll, we'll deal with it properly. Salatul Janazah, some said it's a dua. I'm not convinced 100%, but I sympathize with it. Okay, come down. Uh, uh, that's, it. that's it, yeah? Any other questions here? Yeah. Sheikh, this might be a bit off topic, but I just want to ask in terms of permissibility of Salah or young people who commit suicide and stuff because mm-hmm. there's quite a few of that going around so what is yeah I think uh, I, absolutely uh, the janazah is permissible and absolutely the janazah must be prayed but just prominent people and scholars and so on should not lead that janazah prayer because we do not want because the Salatul janazah is a great honour it's a great honour and we all recognise that Whenever you see people have a big janazah, you always immediately say, this is someone special. صح? And this is one of the reasons why I really dislike Salatul Janazah in the Haram. And I don't partake in it. I really, really dislike it in Haramain. Because it's just basically intellectual terrorism. Controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it's controversial. I, I, I detest this act. But anyway, yeah, and everyone's forced yeah, need to go and make another... Uh, it's pure bid'ah anyway. It's as soon as to pray outside, as soon as not to use the masjid, every single person yeah, is made to feel like yeah, they're the one who's yeah, doing something wrong when they don't stand up with everyone else. And every single prayer. In actual, in actual fact, there's no such thing as a normal prayer anymore. There's two prayers at every prayer time. The, the system of the jama'ah has changed. This is the de- dictionary definition of bid'ah, where something feels like it is a religious institution. When you go to the haramain, it feels like the janazah is part two of your normal prayer. Everyone getting themselves ready. 
Everyone's sitting in a certain way. They're dhikr, they're delaying. They're sunnah, they're delaying. Coming to stand up and pray janazah. What is that? What is that? It's wrong on every single level. And people yeah, get excited because one million people prayed for my mom and one million people prayed for my thingy. What is that? One million people were forced to pray for your person. Forced to. I don't know him from Jill. I, don't, I ain't got a clue who that, that person is. Or the five people they are. Or whatever. There's got to be a vested interest in janazah. There's got to be a feeling that we know this person. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, you are witnesses for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon this earth. And when the janazah, and there's so many hadith, this, I don't want to get involved in this yani, thingy because I'll just get upset. Okay? <laughs> the hadith, yani, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that every time a person went, went past, wallahi he was a good man. And what did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? The other person said, this is a bad man. Yeah. The Prophet is saying, how do you even know yani, what this is? You're standing up for this person and giving yani, tazkiyah for this person. You have no idea. You need to have a vested idea of who's passed away yani, to feel it and proper. So anyway, the point, back to the point, is that a large gathering is seen as a great sign and a good sign and so on. Yes? And so for that reason, and because it is, because, because it is. And so we do not want to be celebrating people who take their own lives, which is complete and utter haram and um, I know that obviously mental health and so on and if then if it's mental health then it's not suicide someone is mentally ill and we try to have as much you know, good opinion for the majority of that when that happens um, but we cannot be seen to be especially Muslims now that Muslim you know, folks have you know lost their mind now to do this as well we cannot be seen as a community to be almost like, you know, not condoning, but that is part and parcel of our religion that even over the mentally ill patients, we're praying over them as well. Because, you know, the line between mental illness and extreme depression is a very thin one. Depression is mental illness, isn't it? Uh, okay. Uh, call whatever you want to call the last limit of normality and being incredibly angry or sad. What would you call that? Yeah, I mean, it's- the crossover it's line. Yeah, yeah. There's no clear line there. There's no clear line. At what point does a person observing this, meaning every single possible suicide, and then those that we can categorically say that it was because of mental illness? It's very difficult. Very difficult. There's a point where someone has control still and has options, but you cross over a line where someone doesn't have that reasoning left and does something, and of course. You know, the suicide still recorded like that, suicide by virtue of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Still recorded as a suicide. But I guess you're saying, Islamically, we differentiate between types of suicide now, don't we? Yes. Where a person had options, and that's, they were just unemployed or yes. in a situation, yes. versus that one, and the one where the person was severely ill and had no judgment, or, you know, it clouded his judgment, as it were. Mm. So I think... That's and, and that's just legally. And so my wider point is emotionally. Emotionally, if there are people who are observing in their town or in their city or in their country, these prayers occurring for people who are on this various spectrum of shades of either completely fine or not so fine or, you know, proper mentally ill or whatever. Health professionals can't work out where the line is. So a normal child observing this will think, well, it's a basic thing and I get prayed over anyway and whatever. And the whole reason that the, 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 the leader and the scholar and the imam and the superstar and the, 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 the X's and the Y's of community are not meant to be seen at that and leading it is to give it that level of 
acceptance, authenticity, and okayness. You get what I'm saying? But it needs to be prayed. It needs to be prayed. It's just done down low, down key, low key. Just, just the extension from that, where does that stop? In the sense that uh, you're saying, okay, you know, certain teachers or the scholars of the community shouldn't be leaving it, mm. you know, to put a stamp on it. Where does that stop? If someone's committed suicide, you know, what one of the local drug barriers got shot. Muslim or you know uh, the guy who's never prayed but it doesn't stop does it it's, the prayer is going to happen even if, the, even, even if the prayer is done by a family member yeah. or an uncle of the front line or X or Y it's very gonna, it's going to be very clear that the guy who's doing it every single week is not doing it it's a snub mm, yeah. it doesn't need to be the superstar thing yeah. a snub is a snub mm. yeah and he and this is all ishtihad, of course, because it's all based upon the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said, go and find someone else to pray over him. When they came to him and said to him, lead, he said, go and find someone else to do it. He snubbed that person. It could be argued, it could very strongly be argued, any other person to pray over him, you'd take every day of the week. But at that time, the snub was clear. I mean, you know, you have Abu Bakr pray for you, bro, game over, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? I'm happy with that. <laughs> So the point is, is that it's not. It's all relative. As long as a local imam, even if there's not a, there's no one knows anything about it. But once the local imam says, "I'm not going to do it," people get the, people learn the lesson. People ask a question: Why did he not? Why? It's a talking point. Yeah, yeah. And once the talking point is established, yeah. from your experience, though, is, is, it, is it something that's done? Oh yeah, all the time. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. God. God. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I think he's talking more about locally. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, I mean in the in the big stories, of course, but locally. Yeah, but I'm saying that. Yeah, but but none of us know exactly what happened, isn't it? None. I mean, there's a big controversy over him, but the controversy over him, I don't think, was because of the legal part. The controversy over him, the Disbury guy was because of how it was worded and how it came and you know it was part of a media PR campaign and that was what people were upset at the pro the statement itself had no legal no problem it was legally fine but it just came off the wrong way it came off as you know whatever on that point though one of the arguments against that is if someone is seen against local, what against the, the leaders local not local praying local pray, yeah people see that, then one of the arguments against that isn't that reinforcing the stigma of mental illness in our communities. Because most people don't know actually what happened. These things aren't generally known in the community. Only if the family and close friends will know exactly what happened. Yeah. Someone observing it from outside, saying, well, why isn't the imam there? And because this person committed suicide, he was depressed or whatever. Doesn't that reinforce then the stigma we have a problem with? Yeah, yeah, it does. There's a, there's a, there's a danger of that happening. But, that, but it shouldn't be... The imam's problem to, to, to deal with that. What, sh- what the real problem here is that why did they get out that he did suicide? Because if a person's mentally ill, ill, right, proper, and it's understood where there's no doubt, it, it doesn't even come across even in, in the public that it was a suicide in the normative sense, if there is anything normal about suicide, okay? What we're talking about, we're not talking about that scenario. That scenario, it's, it, it, in, that, in that scenario where someone is so ill and they know that they've been mentally ill for a long time and then something like that happens, the community back that person. 
back that family. There's not a problem there because there's no doubt in any person's mind that this person was incapacitated for years, in a mental hospital for years, family known, everyone knows the family. It's, a, it's all about how people perceive it. Whereas if we see someone that we didn't know about his mental illness and is not well known and not understood and suddenly he just did something really crazy, okay? This Obama is actually a really good example. He blew himself up. That's not mental illness. You know what I'm trying to say? So when there's clear-cut cases, we should... So when they're clear-cut, yeah, it's something like that, there's no way we should pray over that person. And when it's a clear-cut case that a person's in, you know, been interned for a long, long time, whatever, then that's also... Yeah, not, we, we say this person's... Nothing from him was, was legal. So it doesn't matter. Right? So we pray there. It's this big area in the middle that we've got to be careful about. This big area in the middle. And Allah knows best. Yes, Bob. Just, just a question on the hadith that uh, Ibn Taymiyyah said it was uh, authentic. Yep. And the two others. Uh, yeah, Imam Tirmidhi and Darukutni said that it is Mursal Da'if. Because, so has Ibn Taymiyyah got a narration where he's found the complaint? No. He, he, he said it's authentic even with it being Muslim. Yeah, he believes that the, uh, he doesn't have a narration. He believes that the chain itself is connected to the Prophet. Sallallahu Whereas the hadith without specialist the without the companion. No, no, the companion is, is named. Okay. So he goes, there's the chain. Okay. Whereas the people of Naqd, and that's why I said the Imam al is very important, because he's Naqd, he is one of these people who looks at a chain and knows that it's a blag. Whereas with my respects to Ibn Taymiyyah, he's not got a reputation for being Naqd. And actually many hadith he authenticated that are weak. He's a muhaddith, he's not a Naqd. So Dar Qutni's statement is important. It's only few that said that, by the way. There are others that argued that it's quite fine. But it's important. It's interesting. Tika Naden, yes? Where else do we need to make announcements? Umfest? Uh, Flies out. A couple of weeks. The Time. Birmingham, Fitzner. Next, this, not this weekend. Next weekend, Bristol. Weekend after. And uh, we have time. Next week's lesson is going to be at 8.20. UK. Yes, next week, then inshallah, okay, so everybody, every now week from now on for the rest of, well, next five, six months now, is going to be at 8 p.m. in the masjid here. And online is going to be at 8.20 p.m. online. Yes. Hajj announcement. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Hajj uh, registration thing will open next week, inshallah. Hajj and Umrah. Uh, the Umrah dates are looking like the 29th of March uh, till about the 7th of April. For those people who really are pushing me on that, at the moment, that's what it's looking like from Manchester and London. 29th of March, April. Thing. Hajj is April. and Hajj is August the 7th-ish that we're going to leave. 21 days. Okay, but the registration, I know that that's going to be thingy, so we're going to open that in a couple of weeks' time. And um, there's, I think, maybe 30-odd places left for uh, Blessed uh, Journey, Blessed Voyage even, uh, which is the 21st of December. Okay, that's the Umrah for the 21st of December, yes. What are you looking up for costumes for Hajj? Um, probably in a re- Hajj will probably be in a region of 5,000, 2, 3, 4, something like that. 1, 5, somewhere around that, something like that. And what was it, how much was it this year? 5,000. 5,2. 5,4. So if it's 5-4, then probably around there, 5-5, five, 5-3. Five, five, is it 5-4? Yeah, 5-4. Five, five, oh, double. Yeah, what about a quad? What was a quad at? Yeah, so it's around 5-3, five, 5-4, five, 5-4, five, 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 Hajj. Okay, guys. Zakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha. Wa astagfirullah. Ilmfest tickets. Yeah, here, yeah. Yeah.